0: Partnered uh, with um, two individuals that represent uh, an organization called Compassion Connection. Um, many of you guys know the story, but I met Steve uh, first in two thousand and ten in the spring of two thousand and ten in New York City and as our partnership has grown and developed, um, uh, we because of their own partnership, um, adopted as it were a village called Santana. I-, I know some of you guys have wondered why we named a room Santana it's because the church building that our, our teams uh, we've now taken nine trips and about five or six of those teams have gone to Santana uh, the the room uh, that's here called the Santana room is almost the exact dimensions of the church building that we built uh, in the village of Santana the big prayer has been that the church planter pastor Dario, would move to Santana because right now he's commuting to the village and so on uh, the last several trips, um, Steve, I, the team, we've been praying for God to open the doors for uh, Pastor Darío to be able to move there and, um, and just, you know, for that. And uh, so our first conversation was, was with uh, Pastor Darío. We're like, hey, brother. Uh, and, and, and now, like, him and I are brothers too. Um, and so we hug and we embrace and we can't communicate very much except hola. And, you know, that's about it. But we, we talk and share through interpreters and and so Steve and I just asked him, like, hey, brother, like, are you ready to move to this community? Like, we want to help make it happen. Are you ready to move to this community? And I could tell that Steve, even before that conversation, was a little bit worried about whether uh, he would be willing to do that. It seemed like there were indications. But without a shadow of a doubt, in that moment, he was like, I'm ready to go. Like, I, I want to move there. I need to move there. And so we were like, "Praise, like, all right, so one answered prayer. So then the next answer prayer, though this may seem strange, you're like, in a village, just just pick a plot of land. But but just like here, like there's all kinds of subdivisions and families that own certain plots. And and so the next step was, all right, God, like would you provide a plot of land? And so we prayed, and then uh, Pastor Dario said, all right, tomorrow morning I'm going to go, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to ask this family uh, for a plot of land. And so we saw him soon after uh, that next morning, he's like... All right, like they said they would sell it to us, and so we're we're like all right. So the next the next part was how, how are we gonna how are we gonna pay for this, and so Steve and I were chatting, and, and uh, Steve planted uh, and Sandy planted a church in Quito, the capital city, called La Fuente. Uh, you saw us there uh, on the video, and so Steve said, all right, how about how about La Fuente? Uh, fronts the resources to, to buy Pastor Darío, put a church planter in the city, in the village that he's church planting. Why don't we provide those resources, and why, why don't Matthias' lot provide the resources uh, for the home? And I was like, brother, that sounds amazing. Like, we're in this together. What a family we are. And so uh, we told Pastor Darío, all right, brother, like, the Fuente's going to buy the plot. Consider it done. Now we have to see how Matthias can fundraise the $5,000 to buy the house. And uh, so I went back to the team. A team of 30 went this time. Um, uh, some of you guys have heard the stats. We've taken 160 different people from Matthias' lot in nine trips over five years. Crazy. And um, so I said, all right, guys, here's what the Lord's put on my heart. We, just the team, not fundraising outside of anything, we raise 2500 And then we go back on Wednesday night when we get back home. We're going to ask the church to join on mission with us like I, I can't think of a better way to spend a dollar than by putting a church planter in the city that he's going to church plant in and, and on and on. And so they were like, all right, that's a good plan. So after two days of prayer, I passed sheets of paper around to everyone. And with a little pen, everyone wrote the amount that they, not fundraising, just out of their own resources, the amount that they would commit. And, and I said, hey, you, you have to bear in mind, like, like, we need these resources ASAP so that we can send them down there. Pastor Dario can keep momentum going. So, I gather all the the pieces of paper and I start tallying everything. And then everyone comes back in. I'm like, all right, guys, I want to share uh, where we're at in all this uh, to kind of let you know. And I was looking down at my piece of paper and I said, $6,237. Now, hold on a second. Were, were, there some, were there some, like, working folks on that trip? Yeah. Okay. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Half or so college students, absolutely sacrificially giving. And, and we're finishing it up tonight, but already, like, already in our hand, we have over $5,000. So, I mean, God has just provided. And so think about this. The team going down that many of you even fundraise and help support. Like, in that moment, we're just like, what God is doing in this partnership, in this relationship, in this journey, is way bigger. And no trip is in a vacuum. Like, every team builds and uh, every team after gets to see fruit that other teams have built. But I'm telling you what, like, what an unbelievable gift. Well, I have another gift for you. It just so happens, just so happens that two days after I and the team landed here, uh, Steve and Sandy also landed in St. Charles. And they were here, I picked them up from the airport yesterday, they're beginning a three-month furlough, a fundraising trip, and so, listen, my absolute dear friends, can you guys welcome Steve and Sandy Youngren, our missionary partners in Ecuador. Come on up. It, It feels weird, because we're like sleeping in a tent next to each other like six days ago. I wish we were in the same tent, though, I gotta be honest. That wouldn't have been yeah. weird for me. Yeah. I don't know. No. Old, how, how many years? Perspective on, on what we've been praying for and what happened in the adults yeah. uh, in, in Santana yeah. uh, on this trip.
1: Yeah, we've been working in, um, in Ecuador and the primary, uh, b- even before we planted La Fuente and all of that, a lot of our ministry has been in jungle settings and in village settings. And there's always, in those settings, there's always a, the, the people themselves are animistic in their belief structures, so that means they believe there's spirits behind everything. And though they want whatever you can give to help with their children and help them grow up with values, they are very resistant. All adults are extremely resistant uh, at very, um, yeah, just reserved in every sense of the word to any kind of penetrating sense of the gospel. And um, about, um, I don't know, it was probably about a month before, excuse me, man, Mm. this is really cool to be here. Anyway, um, Mm. about a month before the team came, I got word that God had really put on the heart of the team, uh, a, a burden to intercede, an intercessory prayer kind of burden for this trip, seeing God penetrate, see God do miraculous things and um, and I'm serious. From the moment that the team got there, we began to see things happen that were just uh, the only way you can explain is just God steps in. And we were in Santana, and being able to see the first night as we were gathered, the whole the whatever the community, uh, their families, the adults uh, showed them a, a, a film on on the. The life of Jesus and death and resurrection—they were absolutely attentive, absolutely responsive, like nothing I'd seen before ever. The next night, we just said, "Hey guys, we, we're just going to come here. We're just going to sing over in this place. We're going to praise God and give uh, and and just use a time to just give God praise. And any of you that want to come, you feel free to do it. Even though the majority of it's going to be in English. And um, and we in the middle of that. God just penetrated. Uh, Mark felt really led to have people open up for prayer, those that wanted prayer. People began to pray, ask for prayer for physical things and and spiritual, uh, God opened it up. But one of the most miraculous things was that the president or the village council leader uh, of the whole community, she stands up, second person to stand up and say, I'd like you to pray I'd like you to pray that God would reign over this community from the men to the women to the children. And I didn't know, uh, to, to this day, I, I don't know that she's ever been a believer or anything. And it was just an incredible thing to watch God step in and turn the hearts of adults, open them up, wanting to have prayer, wanting to uh, People giving their lives to Christ on this trip and being able to pass them on to Pastor Darío to give all the follow-up. It was it was a miraculous, beautiful picture, and it taught me a lot about the power of partnership and the partnering of prayer that went into that trip was, mm-hmm. was beautiful. It mm-hmm. was just fantastic. Your perspective is helpful because
0: it's one thing for us to see the fruit. It's a whole other thing for folks who have yeah, been, it, it, been it, on the field forever. Yeah,
1: it, it's, this trip was set up. Yeah. Uh, it has set the trip apart mm-hmm. from anything I've seen. Really. So it's one thing for me to communicate about, about
0: what we share mm-hmm. and the folks that have gone down, see it and experience it. Yeah, I, I just I want the body to hear the fruit mm-hmm. of what genuine gospel partnership, and and specifically our unique relationship yeah. as a church yeah. uh, with you all. Like, what's that look like from both you guys? Again, it's one thing to hear from us, but I just it's another thing to hear from you guys.
2: Oh, that's a big. It is a big question because it's been amazing. But I would say the fruit of our partnership has been because of the intentionality of Matthias Lot, the preparation before the teams come down, the prayer that goes in, the communication that comes to us, the absolute love and care that we feel has birthed a lot of fruit just in us, in um, encouraging us, and times when we just feel like, can we keep doing this? And and getting, the, getting lifted up and getting um, incredible encouragement and feeling like we're not alone and we're in this together with this body has been amazing. But that's also spilled out to every single person that we work with in Ecuador. Our team feels that from Matthias Lott. Um, our church feels that from Matthias Lott. Santana feels that. Darío definitely feels that. You guys have shown up when he has admitted, I was ready to quit. But you coming in and me just feeling that I'm not alone has helped me to keep going. Because it's hard, hard work what he's doing. It's hard, relentless, um, a lot of times not bearing much for work. So the, the blessing has been just uh, all of a sudden us feeling after all these years like we're a part of something bigger to remember that God's body is, is here and that we could actually be prayed for, supported, encouraged by people from our own country has been incredible.
1: And I, and I, I was just, uh, as I was thinking about that question before this, just seeing how from every moment, that every pivotal moment, every pivotal moment in uh, the planting of La Fuente in the development of the property that is used for a training center and uh, to the santana and, and, and the work in Santana, and then now, as we are actually transitioning uh, from a church that 's being plant, that has been planted to a church that 's now going to be training and planting uh, new, new works. Every step of the way, every time there was that pivotal moment, it just was, there was a team there that came and was this critical part of whether it was in labor or just encouragement um, and prayer and just watching. Uh, like a heart and soul connection. Uh, when I walked in here the other day, it was the first time I saw that wall other than on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. And to be able to see that wall and just feel like, wow, this is like home, man. And mm-hmm. so this is, it was, uh, it's just been an incredible thing. And and <laughs> I, I just got to say this, uh, this it, uh, Pastor Mark has, uh, man, I don't know how to describe uh, the the relationship uh it was definitely a divine appointment five years ago um, over pizza. And, uh, Always is, brother. Yeah, <laughs> Always is. <laughs> yeah. God so uses pizza. <laughs> but anyway, um, and just to the bond mm-hmm. that is not just something that I enjoy on, in a very temporal, but a real sense of bondedness, uh, fellow laborer, fellow soldier, uh, fellow worker, dear friend, and really feeling pastored by you when you're down there is an incredible, incredible blessing.
2: One short other thing (laughs) is because of the regular visits there, that's what makes a huge difference because we know you're coming every six months. You, You are now a part. Of us, mm. it's not like oh we visited once and then five years later you're going to visit again. That has been mm. huge, huge, huge for us just because of the regularity and the visits.
0: Mm. So um, l- let me say one thing real quick: fifty-eight and close to that. Okay. <laughs> so listen, if you're if you're a seasoned if you're a seasoned folk in this room right now, first of all, the best-looking fifty-eight-year-old male on the face yeah. of the planet. Okay. All right. Um, That's true. And I won't talk about your wife in front of everyone. But obviously beautiful. That's true. But if you're seasoned here, it's like, what, what an example. So, Steve and I were talking on this last trip, and he's like, Brother, he's like, Man, for us, like, Matthias's lot is home. He's like, We see this church as our home church. And he's like, Even though I pastor, you know, missionaries have home churches in the States. And he's like, I just see this church as a home church. And so I was like, Well, brother, I know you're not going to become a covenant member because you're a pastor of another church. But I was like, when you guys come and, and worship with us, uh, the elders would love just to, on bended knee, wash your feet, and, uh, and say, man, like, not only are you a part of us, but you've been a huge part of us. So if I, could, if I could have the elders come up right now, and you guys come on over here and grab a seat and start taking off your shoes, and all the rest of us, man, like, what an what a unbelievable moment that we get to share in. Um, Again, for those of you that have gone to Ecuador, like you understand the weight and the significance of this. For those that haven't, you've supported and prayed, and we're grateful for it all. Um, But I just, I look at the two of you as the example that you've set for all of us, how you've welcomed us in, opened your home, opened your hearts. And uh, right now, just as the body, we want to pray for you. Ask God to do a work in you, and that he would continue to use you uh, mightily. So as these guys wash your feet, um, this isn't a symbol of covenant membership, but a symbol tonight of our serving with you uh, on the work of the gospel. So wherever you're sitting, if you guys can just join us in praying for Stephen Sandy and the work that they're doing,
3: uh, that'd be incredible. Father, we lift up this man and this woman. There's so much work that's represented that shows faithfulness to how you've been faithful to your mission, to your that's plan. Right. We thank you for all the fruit of ministry that you've done through them, their family. We ask that you would bless their children, their grandchildren relationships that they have, the time that they have over the next few months. We we do pray for resources. We pray that you would provide for every need that they have. But beyond that, we we pray for friendships. We pray for relationships. We pray for new partnerships, for, for more churches to understand what, what this can be, um, not just with Steve and Sandy, but with, with other churches that are planted from La Fuente. And so, Father, we ask that you sustain the work that you've begun. We know it's never been about um, just one man and one woman, but but we know that you've been ultimately faithful, unbelievably faithful. So I pray most of all tonight that as, uh, as they consider this church to, to be a sending church in so many ways, a home church, we, we pray on behalf of this church that you would uh, continue to ignite a deeper, more brighter, strong flame of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own hearts, that you would increase their faith, draw them together in marriage, and in the work that you call them to, Father, give them faith to believe that nothing is impossible with God. So I pray tonight for this man and this woman. We thank you for the blessing that they are to us. And we ask that you help us to be faithful with more and more opportunities for years to come with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Let's give it up for these two. Come on, what a a blessing. What a blessing. I do want to make sure you understand, Sandy's younger. I, I, said, I said that as if she was older. She is younger. So we love you guys so much.
1: Let me just take this
2: down. Yeah, sure, either way. You can put them on up
0: here. Either way is cool. Love you guys so much. What a special, uh, special trip, special time, and um, an opportunity for us now to study God's word. And uh, Listen, I, I, um, God's been doing a, an amazing work in my own heart. Um, I feel uh, uh, very, very alive. And uh, it's not because of Ecuador. It's because of who he is. It's because of the word. It's because of the spirit that lives in me. And that's my continual realization is uh, uh, I don't need Ecuador. I don't need Stephen Sandy. Uh, I don't need you. I need Jesus. And uh, thankfully, I have him. And so, uh, because of that, tonight, like with great fervor, we're going to study God's word. Is that cool? Okay. So here, here so far is where we've been in Colossians. Really so far I feel like three questions have been answered. The first question that's been answered is who Jesus is. That, that's been significant. We've seen it clearly. We'll look at some text here in a second. The second question that we've, uh, that we've answered is who are we because of Christ in relationship to sin? So how has sin impacted us? What bearing does sin have on us now in Christ? What is the relationship between us and sin now on this side of the cross? And finally... We've seen, who are we because of Christ in relation to God? Again, uh, the reason why these questions are pertinent to the church in Colossae is because heresy is making its way uh, to this small church. It won't be a church very long. As we told you guys, an earthquake is getting ready to, to obliterate the town. But Paul, in, in foreseeing uh, the heresy coming, he feels like if they can get solid doctrinally on these questions, that it will help not just prompt their faith but fuel their faith. And so in terms of who Jesus is, here's what he wrote in chapter 1. And he is before all things, and literally in him all things hold together. And we sang together that one night, he's got the whole world in his hands. We all had a kumbaya Sunday school moment. It was beautiful. The second question that we've, we've seen answered, listen to this, is for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If there's been one consistent reoccurring theme over and over, it is that we are dead to sin. Listen, sin no longer has dominion over us. It has no power over us. and over some of you it feels like it does, and there's reasons for that. But in Christ, okay, no longer positionally are we seen as sinful in the eyes of God. We couldn't be connected to God if we were. We're seen through the lens of Jesus, through the perfect, spotless Passover lamb. And so because of that, we're called sons, and if sons, heirs. Are we together? Okay. Now the final question we've seen is this. Who are we because of Christ in relation to God? This should be some good news. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This is who we are now. In Christ now, we are alive. In Christ now, there's no more funeral. In Christ now, though the flesh may on this earth one day sit in the casket or be cremated, forever we are made alive, both here and forever in the arms of a great God. This so far has been our text. But tonight, oh my goodness, we take an insane journey on the concept of sin. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to study all three verses. A little bit condensed, uh, just in lieu of time tonight, and um, really excited to go here. So let's begin here in verse 5. Here's what verse 5 says, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Say that three times, which is, the scripture says, idolatry. Now, this is strange for us. Put to death, therefore. I thought, Mark, you just said we're dead to sin. I thought you said we're dead to sin. So why should we still be putting things to death? Here's why. Let me say it this way. We are dead to sin in Christ, but sin is not dead dot, dot, dot yet. Okay? Okay? We're dead to sin in Christ. Our sins, Scripture says, have been crucified on the cross of Christ, but for a season, as you well know, sin in general is not dead. Okay, some of you guys like some John MacArthur. Here's what he says on the topic. Sin is like a deposed monarch who no longer reigns. Amen? No longer reigns, nor has the ability to condemn, right? Come on. But works hard to debilitate and devastate all his, what's the word? Former subjects. We must see ourselves as that way. Former subjects. We are no longer under the dominion and power of sin. However, sin, though we're dead to it, is not dead in general. Not yet. It will be. And so because of that, we're in a battle. And so that's why Paul says in verse 5, put to death. Uh, The Greek word for death is "necro." Everyone say that with me. Come on. Okay. And it literally means... To put to death. Um, I wish I had something more philosophical there. It, it, it's very action oriented. It means to slay. Okay. And so right now when you start talking this terminology. All the dudes in here are like face painted blue. You want to start going to work. Right. You get this like war like mentality. All of a sudden the fuel in your heart starts burning. And uh, you start wondering then how and why can we uh, go to war uh, with sin. I, I want to give you two images on what I think we often do. Okay. Put the death for. I think what we often do in terms of sin. Is we think that killing sin would be like. Going to a tree every day. And every day you walk out to this majestic tree. And it's beautiful leaves like. You know just in like late May. When it's thriving. And you think alright today I'm going to get you tree. I'm going after you tree. Like today tree you're mine. And you stare it down and it's. Kind of stares you back, right? And you like stand up tall against it. You even like chest butt its bark a little bit. And then you go up to it. And you pull off a leaf. And you shake it in the tree's face. I got you now, tree. I got your leaf, right? And you like tear it up. I mean, you even like started a fire and you burn it. And then you walk away. And then you're surprised when you come out a few hours later and the tree is still standing. Now not staring at you, now smiling at you. And so in light of that, you decide, all right, no, 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 I guess, I guess one wasn't enough, right? I'm gonna, now I'm going to go after one more leaf. I feel like often this is what we do. The wrong strategy to putting to death. Not attacking the core or the root of sin. Instead, fixing behavior. Listen, church, we've been trained to fix behavior. And I hate it. Anyone else? Like we've been trained to be fueled by conviction that then says sorry and not really repents, and we all think that fixing behavior is killing sin, and in doing so, it's the wrong strategy, and tonight we'll see the right. The second image I have in my mind is uh, my kids got uh, Nerf zombie guns for Christmas, okay? I didn't know Nerf was in the zombie-killing business, okay? Uh, Do any of the rest of you guys have Nerf zombie guns? Any the rest? There we go. Praise be to All right. There we go. How, hold on how old are you guys uh, okay fair enough all right so you're under 18 that, that counts then so a uh, killing I think often then like we, we come with our Nerf gun right and uh, we had uh, Nathan uh, Makowitz and Janae uh, my my sister and brother-in-law over one night and we got the Nerf guns out and I mean it was crazy I mean we were like dipping and diving right and listen, here's the thing about Nerf guns. I'm not sure if you've realized that. You can get hit in the eye directly, okay, with a Nerf bullet, and you'll, you'll walk it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it's still intense, and it's still fun, and you feel like you're in the war, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the wrong weaponry. So I feel like in our approach of trying to kill sin, we've approached it with the wrong strategy, and my friends, I feel like we've approached it with the, with the wrong weaponry. Tonight, through the text, I want to see both of those things on how we can change both of those aspects. Okay, Now, let's go word for word through these uh, sins that Paul lists out here, because I think this will be helpful, just to kind of do some word association. Well, the first one that he mentioned, starting from the end, is idolatry. I'm just going to associate a word or two or a phrase with the word in blue that Paul writes. I, I associate idolatry with worship. Idolatry, in essence, is anything that you put in your heart, mind, soul, strength above the worship of the Lord. That is an idol or idolatry. So let's just attach the word worship to it. The next one that we see there is covetousness. A covetousness is is wanting more of something. Okay, so some of you right now, you, you covet your neighbor's house. You covet your roommate's job. You covet your friend's spouse. You uh, desire uh, the wealth or the poverty that friend, like there's all kinds of things that we covet. But at the end of the day, it's this sinful longing that desires what you don't have. You know, we could also say it in another way. It's like being discontent. Okay? The next one that we see here is evil desire. Associate evil desire with motive. Uh, so the sin that that overtakes your heart with this, uh, with this motive of evil intent. It's interesting how almost these work backwards. Uh, the next one, certainly uh, having to do much with a sexual sin, is passion. Now, passion can certainly be a good thing. We see in Romans 12, like, never be lacking in zeal. It's a very similar Greek word. But here, especially in the list of Paul's uh, sins in this particular text, it has to do with lust. Lusting after, we would say, or desiring so much that it clouds judgment. Next slide. We also see, finally, the the fruit of all of this, because passion kind of encompasses impurity. Sexual immorality being the action of motive and lust. Now, uh, many of you in here have struggled with sexual immorality. And right now, you're, you're thinking, okay, here comes the sexual immorality teaching, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be appropriate now because it certainly could be and even can be. But I feel like right now, tonight, if we teach sexual immorality and we teach the biblical ramifications of it, which many of you have been affected by pornography or uh, adulterous relationships or parents who are involved in uh, both and or the other, then again, we're like, we're missing the, potentially the core Is it even possible when Paul lists these out, that he lists them out in an order so that we would be able to focus on a couple specifically? In other words, if we just look at evil desire, passion, and sexual immorality, it seems like we're going to the tree a little bit and grabbing the leaf in our fight against sin. But what if instead tonight, next slide, what if instead tonight we focused on on two? What if it said tonight we separated the bottom three from the top two? And we said maybe in the reorganization of the strategy of putting sin to death, maybe in the re repenry okay, that's a difficult phrase to say, in the strategy of putting sin to death, we just focused on those two things. And so tonight that's what we're going to do. That's why I want to say this next slide. What you worship tonight, my friends, reveals what you want. Is it enough to understand who you are in Christ? Does that prompt worship? Is it enough to be saved by grace through faith? Is it enough to be called a son and if a son and heir? Are those things enough that right now are fueling and prompting your worship or right now by your life? Are you saying actually um, I'm describing to the world what I want? By what consumes me, by what I worship, by where the longings of my heart go. I'm asking you tonight, in light of this statement, what would your life say what you worship? I'm not talking about like in in here in these moments. For many of you, it's pretty clear, okay? Raise hands, sing lyrics. So in here, it's clear that like you worship the Lord. But what about um, out there? What about at work? What about with your friends? What about with that one group of friends where you fear a little bit more liberty to have a little bit of a looser tongue, right? Uh, would they say that you're worshiping yourself? Would they say that you're worshiping um, uh, the fuel for um, being accepted? Or would they say that, man, It would beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's clear that what they want is the Lord Jesus. That's who they worship, okay? Next slide. In light of that, I want to ask you guys these things. To get on the, uh, the offense against sin, because that's what putting to death means, okay? It's getting on the offense. It's getting, uh, getting and taking initiative, okay? We need to evaluate first, what is my belief about sin? And I'm asking you to wrestle with these things. Like, I have had an absolute transformative journey in the book of Colossians about my view of sin. I realize that Christians talk about sin a whole lot, and quite honestly, I'm not sure Why? Okay. Again, it's one thing to confess your sin, repent and move on. But it seems like in some of our conversations, our conversations are dominated by sin and not the Lord Jesus. And I've contended to you in this journey, I think it shows us that we still believe that sin has power over us. Just by the way that we talk about it. We like give sin a like figurative image. We attach sin with like a powerful being. But again, the scripture over and over and over that we've seen in Romans and Colossians and Ephesians says we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So I'm just asking you right now, as you evaluate your offense, what's your belief about sin? You approach it differently if you still think it has dominion over you. Second thing I want you to evaluate is this. What is consuming you right now? What is consuming you? What dominates your thoughts when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thing that comes to mind? We are taking a shower. Like, what's the permeating thought between heart and mind? What right now is consuming you? So, um, when I was journaling in Ecuador, my question to myself was, should I ever be consumed with anything else besides the Lord Jesus? And is that even possible To only be consumed by him. Like to only think on him. To only understand on him. Remember what we've read in Colossians? Set your minds on what? Come on, on things what? On things above. So like, so I don't think Paul would encourage it if if he didn't believe holy and spirit empowered. Like we could actually participate in it. But many of us tonight like don't feel that, right? Like we don't feel consumed by and with Christ. Feel consumed by the stresses of the life, uh, by the anxiety that our kids bring, by the struggle of relationship. I'm just asking you to get on the offense. I'm asking you to evaluate that. Next slide. Next question. What weaponry am I using to fight against sin? All right, you guys ready to go? Okay, great. Okay. Accountability. It's good. I would even encourage it. Brothers and sisters in Christ asking the hard questions, holding one another accountable. But my friends, accountability is failed and flawed. Why? Because it's humans holding humans accountable. Again, is it, is it bad? Is it horrific? No, it's helpful. But if accountability is your offense to fighting the things of sin and that's what you're banking on, which I have seen a tremendous lean towards in our culture. I'm telling you, you're putting your faith in a man or a woman. I've even heard people go as far as to blame their accountability partner on their sin. They have said, well, they didn't call me soon enough. What? They weren't there when I needed them. He always is. That's why accountability is failed and flawed. And if you rest in the person and the phone call and the text and the encouragement that comes from man, you are setting your foundation not on the cornerstone of Christ but on the cornerstone of something that isn't a cornerstone at all. Okay. So accountability is one. I think some of you guys find yourselves there. Uh, the next one I will mention is Christian pleasantry. Books that are in the, under the premise of Christendom but don't talk about Scripture. TV shows that are Christian TV shows, but don't talk about the word. Like you think that somehow by consuming your mind and your heart with Christian niceties and cliches that aren't at the end of the day even some biblical, that you'll be able to see the sinfulness of sin and awe the person of Christ and then in light of those things walk away. And once you find yourself, you're empty because the word isn't infiltrating your heart. You're exposing yourself to all kinds of Christian conversation. You think, but not the word. And so your weaponry is based on man. Your weaponry for some of you is based on emotion. Again, we've talked about here all the time. I say it, if if I've said it a million times, I'll say it a million and one right now. When right emotion meets right theology, that's a beautiful union. When our emotion is driven by our thoughts of God, a beautiful union. When tears of Steve up here driven by the gospel work. Beautiful thing. But when your emotion drives your view of sin and drives your offense, today I feel like going after it. Tomorrow I won't. Today I feel tired. Uh, Most of you men, when you struggle with pornography, it's been in a stressful season of life, late at night by yourself, When the enemy gets in, even in that sequence, like with evil desire, motive starts to come in, passion starts to rise, and then ultimately sexual immorality. And it all stems from this, like, being tired and being neglecting, uh, and and all of a sudden in your laziness, you find yourself um, deepened in sin. Here's what I'm saying, my friends. If you have the wrong weapons, um, then your fight isn't a fight at all. It's not that you're not claiming victory in what you are now in Jesus. It's that you're, you're completely armed. You've completely armed yourself with the things that are putting up a facade. That the sins that you're fighting are real sins and the battle that you're fighting is a real war. And I'm just asking you to evaluate that tonight. Is your weapon the word? <laughs> is your weapon the spirit of God that's in you? It's no longer I that live, but come on, what? Christ that lives in me. Is that the weapons? You guys understand what i'm saying and when you look in christian culture isn't it like isn't it really really interesting that the two greatest problems that christians say they have is reading the bible and scripture time or reading the bible in prayer and yet our greatest weapons in this fight of putting to death sin are is that communion with christ it's crazy number four we're just getting started the last thing I want to ask on your evaluation is, are you repenting or apologizing? You guys know what apologizing is. <laughs> uh, you've done it once or thrice with your spouse. I certainly have. I know in my heart I'm right. I think, right? Like, we're, we're having an argument, we're, we're talking things through, and I feel like I'm right, and I, I, I think I'm right, but I just want to get her off my back. Dudes, just me maybe, okay? Okay? I just want to, like, end the conversation. I'm tired. It's time to roll over and go to bed. And so I know by saying the couple simple words that there's a, at least a 65% chance the conversation will be over. So I swallow my pride, sometimes falsely, and I turn over. Honey, you are so right. I am so wrong. In my heart, I'm not believing it. And I say the words, I'm sorry, Right? And I have to admit, like there's been times in our marriage, okay, 5, 6, 7, 25, okay, where in my heart I thought I was right, but I thought just by saying sorry it would get her off my back. And what I'm saying tonight is that's the same principle that many of you have approached the Lord with. If I just say I'm sorry, maybe he'll get off my back. Or rather, maybe I won't feel bad anymore about that sin. Come on. Like I feel guilt ridden. Well, I guess if I just tell him that I'm sorry, even though I'm not really repentant in my heart... If I just like write him a love letter, not understanding the sinfulness of sin or the heaviness of it, then maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll just receive that. Again, all of these things, when done in error with wrong strategy and bad weaponry, you're lessening the work of the gospel that has already happened in you. But that's what I see tremendously all over, even this room, is trying to put sin to death with man-made things while missing the thing that you already have. Now, you want to see the sinfulness of sin? You want to see why we need to put it to death? Okay, try this one on for size. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. I know some of you guys think because uh, W's don't normally show up in uh, word vocabularies that that must be a good thing. Uh, Wrath is not a good thing. Here's what Romans says about the wrath of God from two different passages. For the wrath of God in Romans 1 verse 18 is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Those who are not founded in Christ, those who suppress the truth of the gospel, those who live their life in denial of the Lord Jesus will, hear me, will encounter, experience the fullness of the wrath of God. Uh, many of you guys who were in Ecuador, you, you got to experience this moment with me. But we were in a, what's the, what's the uh, church building with the nasty demon painting? What's that church building called in downtown Quito? You know what I'm talking about? The, the big nice one? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Church of San Francisco, which seems like an appropriate name. Um, like Ecuador, and you're calling U.S. city names. Anyway. So um, so we're walking around, beautiful paintings. How old is the thing? It's like, yeah, it's like 4,000 years old or something. And um, <laughs> I carried one too many ones there. So I'm walking around, listen to this. I'm walking around, and we get to this painting. And it's this ancient Catholic church, and this painting is a portrayal of Hell. And, like, I still have etched in my mind this painting because the painting was literally demons, like, eating people, stabbing people, pouring, like, hot magma down people. I mean, it was, it was one of the most grotesque, horrific images, literally, I've seen in my life. And I step back from it, and I'm not saying that that portrayal is 100% accurate, but I know God's wrath is real. And I know that part of God's wrath is spending an eternity separated from him. And I know that part of that being separated eternally from him is spending an eternity away from him in hell. And what the scripture says is like, if your life is consumed with the worship of those things, it's those things that the wrath of God is coming Those of us in Christ forgiven, set apart, separated, okay? Those of us not, Romans 5 adds this, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, look at this, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In Christ we're saved from that wrath and that should be a good thing for everyone, right? It should be something that we not just carry the weight of but feel light because of. We're saved from the wrath of God in Christ, okay? So that verse separates this unbelievable verse seven that my heart has just latched onto, okay? Check this out. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. Here's a strategy. Next slide. Here's what he does, okay? He reminds them who they were so that they will celebrate who they are. So he takes a second and he, like amidst this very heavy text about wrath and he lists out sins, the readers are now having to remember, process, who they were so that they celebrate who they are. It's as if what Paul says is if you can hang on to your identity in Christ, if you can be encouraged by who you already are in Jesus. If you cannot be jaded or shaded by a constant identity crisis, then the war is offensive against sin. Because then what happens is when you come to moments of sin or not sin, guess what you're doing? You're standing on the promises. Then what happens when you come to lust or not, what you're doing is you're saying, I actually have enough in Christ. So let me uh, just set that a- as an example. Uh, some of you were tempted to cheat on your taxes. By raise of hand? No? Okay. <laughs> you took your tithe report, right? You typed up your own, added a few thou, right? Uh huh. Man, we really drove a lot, honey, this year. Look at that. 600,000 miles, company miles on our vehicle this year. Man. And when you came to that moment, what you said is, I don't have enough in Christ. Uh, Tonight, some of you will be very tempted to masturbate. My guess is some of you will. And in that moment, what you communicate is, I don't have enough in Jesus. I need more. Uh, some of you tonight will be tempted to yet again fall into the trap of seeing your bodily image and either inflict pain on yourself or cause harm on yourself by uh, making yourself throw up so that you can continue to appear uh, the image that you have in your mind. And in that moment, what you're communicating is, I don't have enough in Jesus, I need more. Some of you guys uh, tonight, males, females, as you're getting ready to lay down with your your spouse and there's this opportunity to lead your family or lead your spouse in in worship and encouragement and nurturing. But instead, just so enveloped in yourself and your phone and your tiredness and in that moment, you're saying, "I, I don't have enough in Christ, I need more. So it's interesting to me that at the end of that list of sins, it ends with witches idolatry, and that's connected to covetousness. It's as if he's saying, you're either sure about who you are in Christ, and that is your greatest offense, as the word is fueled through the spirit of God in you, or you're unsure. And that is going to create a bunch of man-centered fighting. Let me show you guys this. Next slide. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, uh, the scripture says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So I want to ask you, church, next slide, I want to ask you this, is that enough? Is it enough for you to be a, save, uh, to be a son, to be an heir? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Church, is it enough? Is that offense of identity as you sit and who you are in Christ enough in the moment when sin is dangling before your eyes, even though it has no power over you, for you to look at it for what it is? Is it enough? Next slide. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 5 For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Is it enough? Next slide. Check this out from Galatians chapter 2 verse 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that enough, church? Is the world seeing that who we've been made in Christ as image bearers of God? Enough for us. Next slide. Check this out. Next slide there, my brother Andrew. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're literally created for Him, for His glory, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next slide. And finally, First Peter 2. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Listen, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to ask you what I'm asking myself. Next slide. Is it enough? Is that completely enough? Is it enough to put to death sin because of who we've been made in Jesus? Is that what we will rest in our identity? Or by the decisions, are you saying, I don't have enough in him? My identity hasn't been changed enough. I still need this. I still need that. I still need to indulge. The scripture says, Put to death, therefore. John Piper says, Make war. And on and on and on the images go. But there's one thing that stands sure. We in Christ have been changed. The old is gone and the new has come. So the question is, is that enough? The answer is, it is enough, and will be enough, and tonight can be enough for every single one of us. So we fight this fight, this war against our flesh, but my friends, we stand as victors, already called sons, already called his workmanship, already called heirs. And so tonight, when you're tempted, And tomorrow when sin comes crouching again, you get to look in the face of that temptation and say, that cannot confuse who I already am in Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. Come on.